Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, where we explore how to make space for everyone in the yoga community. This podcast is brought to you by the Accessible Yoga Association, a nonprofit organization focused on accessibility and equity in yoga. Hi, I'm your host, Jeevana Heyman. My pronouns are he and him, and I serve as the director of Accessible Yoga. And I'm your co-host, Amber Carnes. My pronouns are she and her, and I serve as president of the Accessible Yoga Board of Directors. Jeevana, hey, how's it going? Hi. Hey, Amber, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm having a good week so far. I've had some, like, feeling stuck with certain projects and things, feelings for a while that are feeling a little more open and like there's possibilities so that's a nice place to be how about you yeah that's awesome i'm so glad um i'm good you know i i have a lot of stuff going on with my kids you know my kids are challenging they're 20 and 16 which probably just says it all right there (laughs) (laughs) now they're like um basically people with opinions of their own and Uh like what they do things on their own (laughs) Mm. how rude (laughs) yeah it's it's rough it's rough (laughs) yeah but um yeah otherwise i'm okay um i'm excited about this episode me too. We're going to talk about your book. So, oh no, my uh, favorite thing to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm excited to talk about this. Um, your book is uh, is out. Um, is coming out. Tell people about like where's the trajectory of the book, and oh. and then we're going to talk all about it. Yeah. The official release date is November 16th. So I don't know. It depends when this comes out. If yeah. If it's before that, people can pre-order the book anywhere books are sold which is awesome. I hope they will, because that really helps with um, spreading the word about the book. If they see mm-hmm. there's a lot of pre-orders, they actually put more effort into that from the publisher side. But um, otherwise, if it's after November 16th, you can just order the book and get it anywhere you like. And um, actually, I have, if people go to my website, maybe I can put a link to this in the show notes, but I have a bunch of free practices I'm giving away to anyone who orders my book. So you can go on my website and then go to um, a link and get the classes that I've described in the back of my new book. I've Mm -hmm. um, videotaped them and I have one, a version in a chair and a version on the mat. And I have an audio meditation I've led. And so people can get that if they um, if they bought the book. That is awesome. I I love that sort of like modern uh, technology part of the publishing thing. It's like, oh, and we get to practice with you. Not only like read about it. That's cool. Yeah, I'm excited about that, too. And and actually, I'm excited about doing a um, some kind of book launch, which um, hopefully have announced by the time this comes out. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but it'll be a, you know, free event that people can come to and just hear more about it. Maybe you'll all be right, there, cool. I hope. Yeah, yeah, that, that'll be awesome. We'll share all of that stuff through the podcast and email and everything. But um, I want to jump into talking about the topics of this book, which, you know, I know yeah. you've been thinking about and writing about and living for a while. So um, yeah. I wonder if you want to just like, let's talk about the title. So the title is Yoga Revolution, Building a Practice of Courage and Compassion, right? Is that it? Yeah, that's right. Um you want to talk about yeah, why you picked yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's such a journey in evolution. I don't know. People who've written books probably understand that. It's like you start with one idea and then it evolved into something else. And then <laughs> actually, the original working title was Rainbow Mind, which is now the, a chapter title. And maybe we can talk mm. about that chapter later, maybe, because mm-hmm. I love that part. But um, I was just, to be honest, a publisher wasn't 
happy with that. They didn't think it was clear enough and they wanted something more direct. And so we came up with Yoga Revolution together. And I, I had used that name, that title in a talk that I gave actually at, um, at the first accessible yoga conference in New York City. I, I led a talk on Yoga Revolution. So maybe some of our listeners were even there. Um, and what I, try, what I tried to share in that talk that really came through this book, I think, is the idea that yoga allows for an inner revolution in the way that we relate to ourselves, that it's, it's really about um, a different internal relationship than we normally have. And that also yoga can revolutionize the way we are in the world. And so the only thing I want to say about the title is that I, I don't, it's not about revolutionizing yoga. Like I'm not talking about yoga changing. I'm talking about how yoga changes us. And I just want to be clear mm, about that. I love that. Yeah. Um, so the tagline, you know, is about building a practice of courage and compassion. I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit. Like, are those two things opposites or <laughs> why do they go together? Um, yeah, no, I think they go together. I think it, get, it goes back to that idea I had about this inner revolution and this outer revolution. That's kind of the theme in the book is inner transformation and outer transformation and the relationship between them. And that yoga is really about the inner transformation. And that's what, that's what the book is really about. It's about doing the inner spiritual work of yoga and how that then changes the way we are in the world. And I think, I think that's the, the main message I'm trying to share is that yoga offers incredible um, tools and practices that can transform our inner life. And, and, I, and it has for me, and I, and I know it has for, for you and so many people. And I also want people to look at how that affects our, our life in, in the way we live and everything we do. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's not to me, it's not enough to just do that work to just, mm, I don't know, how do I say it? It's like, I don't believe in enlightenment as a personal practice. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think it works yeah, that way. Yeah, I do. Way. I mean, yeah. we've talked about this a lot before that like, yeah, the, the practice can be used to sort of like reduce stress and make us feel better and like manage our mind about painful things. But like, if you only use that to like make yourself personally, like feel calmer or whatever, then there's kind of an opportunity we're missing. Is that what you mean? Yeah. And I think that like, that's an important part of yoga. There is that self-care yes. and it's essential. Yeah. And there is that inner work that is really what I mostly talk about. But to me, there, it, it's, it's wasted if it's not in the service of humanity. You know, if it doesn't, it's like, what's the point of, who is it? This, um, this teacher, Arti, um, I don't know how to say her last name, Inamdar. She was speaking at our um, community forum that we had at Accessible Yoga on cultural appropriation. And she said something like, and I'm paraphrasing, she's like, what's the point of all that breathing if it doesn't help to make the world a little better for other people. Mm, mm -hmm. And you know, like that really summarized it for me. It's like, what's the point of all of that stretching and meditation and what the ethics and all of it, what's the point of it if it's not in the service of, of ourselves and others as well? Like if it doesn't make some impact on the world. And I want to, I want to look at that, you know, what is that relationship between the two things? I, I think that's what courage and compassion are about. I think courage to me is actually the inner, I'm talking about inner courage to like face yourself, honestly, and to really examine your inner relationship, to look at your inner dialogue, things like that. And then compassion is how we then act in the world when we see 
ourself and others. So I think that's where I was going with those two words, kind of like inner revolution and the outer revolution. And it goes back and forth. Like the first chapter of the book is the inner revolution. The second part is outer revolution. And then third part is actually practice, like building that yoga in practice. Like, what does that look like? And again, going back inside. And I always use this Im- this image. I, I was talking to someone um, about the book the other day, and I, this image of waves on the shore, and like that's how I think of my my life. It's like I'm like a wave, or I'm like crashing on the shore, like into the world. Like it feels like crashing off into the world, you know, like <laughs> trying to deal with all that stuff that happens to you all day long, mm-hmm. and then you recede back into the ocean, and that's where I like connect back to myself, basically, and then just to crash again on the shore. And I feel like that's how life is for me. It's like, I can find something inside. And then when I go out into the world, it's like, I'm constantly challenged by that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. I love that sort of like zooming in and out aspect of it and, you know, using the practice to like know yourself better. So then when you go into the world, like you can, you know, have compassion for others, like through that lens, like that's, that's really powerful concept, I think. Um, yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Like I think about this sort of, you know, making the world a little bit better for other people or, you know, what's the point of all that breathing if we're not doing that, like that's social justice we're talking about. Right. Um, (laughs) and so I wonder if we can talk about like, what is the relationship between yoga and social justice? Like is yoga social justice when we practice it? Like let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, actually, I think, I, I don't think it is social justice, to be honest. I actually think it's it's yoga in practice. I think that's what we're talking about. I think yoga in practice, or, or you could call it um, service, karma yoga, seva, that's like yoga off the mat. That's what I'm talking about, like yoga off the mat. And and that's the heart of the practice is how how your inner practice affects your actions in the world. I think that for me personally is social justice activism. That's my, that's how the form it takes in my life. And I, I was an AIDS activist, you know, in the eighties and nineties. And I still consider myself an activist, maybe more of a community organizer. I like to use that word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think you are too. Um, yeah. And I would say, I see my work as an aspect of yoga and as a practice personally, but I'm not, I'm not equating yoga and, and social justice. What I'm saying is that um, yoga is about um, service and seeing yourself in others and compassion and love and expansion. Honestly, if you get to the heart of the teachings, they're really about identifying with spirit rather than with the mind and body. I mean, that's the, yeah. the essential teaching in yoga, I would say, is that we have, an, we have this spiritual essence, which you could call, you know, um, Atman or Purusha or even Brahman as like the greater spirit that's within everything. And yet we have this body and mind that are temporary vehicles for, for, for the spirit. And they're constantly changing and they're mortal. Like the body and mind will, will constantly change and then die. But the spirit is unchanging and immortal and won't die. And so the practice of yoga is simply connect or identify with that part of you that's unchanging rather than with a part of you that's constantly changing. And it's a dance, you know, because we have to honor the part of 
honor the temporary parts as well. Like we have to respect the body and mind and care for it and, um, and understand the essential, I don't know what the word is, like the importance of having a body and a mind because we couldn't be yeah. here without that. So I'm not, I'm not saying it's not important, but it's just that in the yoga teachings, the, the idea is shifting the locus of identity um, to spirit instead. And mm -hmm. I think the process of doing that changes the way we see the world, where we no longer see people as other. And this is, and it's important to mention, like this is not, I'm not talking about spiritual bypassing, right? It's not about like, we're all one. It's saying, no, we're all different. We all have these completely different bodies and minds and our lives are completely different and our struggles are different. But underneath that, we are one. Underneath that, behind the physical, the human is the, in our heart, we are the same. And so seeing my heart in you and in other people is the essential teaching of yoga. Trans, kind of, um, oh, what's the word? Overcoming the obstacle of ignorance, of spiritual ignorance and of egoism, which makes me think that I'm separate than you and I'm in competition with you. Do you know what I mean? That that's really what we're trying to get at. And to me, that's social justice, but I'm saying that may not appear that way for someone else. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, it does. No, I love that. And I, I think that, um, you know, this points toward service, like, let's talk about that a little bit. So if you, yeah. you know, if you've gotten in touch with these teachings and you're connecting with, you know, what the things that don't change that spirit aspect and seeing that in others, you know, I think, well, at least in my experience, I know yours too, it prompts action, right? It prompts us to want to do something to be of service and use our gifts in the world. And I wonder if you can talk about the concept of service as, mm -hmm. you know, practicing with your, with your feet, like, <laughs> you know, they say praying with your feet, like mm. yoga off the mat and, mm. and, um, I know you spend some time talking about that in the book too. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it looks different for everybody. And I, I just want to say that, I mean, I, in the book, I talk a lot about my experience, but that's because that's me and my experience and I'm not projecting onto everyone else what that appears as. And so that's why, again, I want to identify that, um, everyone has their own path of yoga and of self-realization I think I just want to go back for a minute to like the traditional way we understand yoga and say that it's often seen as a, you know, a monastic, there's a monastic tradition within the yoga teachings of separating from the world. And that's where, that's like what the yoga sutras of Patanjali generally teach us to do is to separate from the world, to isolate ourselves as a way of realizing our spiritual nature. The Bhagavad Gita offers a different approach that's more of an engaged um, ethical path of service, you know, and, and wisdom, like understand the reality of our spiritual nature and then act in accordance with that. That's, I think the message of the Gita. So I, I guess what I'm saying is there are different traditions within yoga. There is not one way, although I think classically we are looking at much more of a monastic lineage. And so what I'm saying is a little, a departure from that, because what I'm trying to say is like right now, What's happened is we've, I don't know how to say this. It's almost like we've pulled out just certain pieces of yoga tradition and used those. And it's so weird to me that we've 
pulled out the monastic part when we have a modern yoga culture that is so focused on asana. And to me, there's like a really dangerous mm -hmm. fusion of like monastic individual enlightenment approach and asana obsession, you know, self-improvement obsession of the West. And to me, that's like a really dangerous mixture that's, that's come together within contemporary practice. And I guess the reason I'm, I'm really wanting to highlight and the other more um, service-oriented approach and the connection part as like a new, not new, but like um, maybe a renewed look at the tradition of yoga, like focusing more on that service piece than on the inner enlightenment goal. I don't know if that made sense. Um, yeah, it did. And I, and I think looking at it through the, the lens of like, you know, there are examples of this, like the Gita talks about this and it's so, yeah. you know, that there's not just one text of yoga in the first place, but also, yeah. um, that people's practice is going to look different. I mean, even just looking at like, you know, karma yoga versus like, uh, bhakti, you know, there are different directions that you can take this practice. And, mm -hmm. um, so I appreciate yeah. you exploring that in this book. Um, Right. And there have I been activists, there have been activists all the way too through history. I mean, mm -hmm. you, know, you can use an obvious example like Gandhi to look at what, you know, what the movement that Gandhi was identified with, but really a movement of people who were using um, the ideas of nonviolence, you know, of ahimsa and satya, of truthfulness as their like focus in creating a huge revolution that you know, outed the um, colonial British government in India based on mm -hmm. the yoga teachings. Um, I think it's quite profound to see that transformation. And then to, to see that, you know, um, Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela both used some of those teachings inspired by Gandhi yeah. and the other um, yoga teachings to also offer nonviolent protests and transform mm -hmm. the world. I mean, I think if you look at those kind of civil rights movements, it's often based on these yogic ideas. So to me, there's not, it's not new to say that yoga is revolutionary. I just think somehow we've been marketed a yoga that's not revolutionary because of the way that capitalism works and that someone's trying to make a buck off of it. And so that means we're going to just teach it like this little package deal. <laughs> um, when the heart of it has always been completely revolutionary, it's it's really about um, loving others and connection and community and service. I mean, that is really the heart of what, to me at least, of what yoga has always been about. And I think it's come out many times throughout history. Um, and I think a lot of that's happening now. Like, really, I was inspired by Black Lives Matter, and I think that's when the book really began to take shape because I was just so inspired by like the largest civil rights movement in history, which was Black Lives Matter, and mm -hmm. the way that I saw that changing culture so quickly and how much of those the, the themes that I heard repeated within Black Lives Matter are actually yogic ideas. That's right. You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to talk about Rainbow Mind because you said that was the original title of the right. book and I, yeah. now it's a chapter in the book. So what does it mean to have a rainbow mind? 
Yeah. So to me, I was trying to kind of visualize, like I'm, I'm a visual artist, honestly, that's my training. And so I think in images and, um, I, when I was writing my first book, Accessible Yoga, I wrote a, a sentence that really stuck with me and I can't remember it exactly, but something around like how, like light through a prism, you know, that we, we are the same, but we're all completely different. And I just love mm -hmm. that imagery of like, how a prism, you know, that a prism shows us both sides, that there's the connection, like I talked about the unity, and then the other side, there's the diversity. And that's something my, my teacher's teacher, Swami Shivananda, used to say, you know, unity and diversity is the goal of yoga, to see the unity be behind the diversity of, of the world and of humanity is what we're trying to do in our practice. And a rainbow represents that to me, because a rainbow is also, it's all the colors, but it's also light it's just pure white light does that make sense I that. <laughs> I don't know. no i love it right. yeah yeah so yeah. okay so having yeah. the rainbow mind then, well also like, like rainbow is like the image of the queer community and like i love right. that like you know <laughs> as a queer person i feel really grateful to my queer community for constantly teaching me and um challenging me and for like innovation and creativity you know i feel like yeah. so much new and, and innovative thinking comes from queer people. And, and so I kind of was thinking about that, like about how a queer approach to yoga would bring in this idea. And I also want to give a shout out to Jacoby Ballard because like Jacoby has a new book called um, Queer Dharma that's coming out the same day as my book, which is so amazing. And I'm oh very excited gosh, for him. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. <laughs> and he comes like, his book is similar, par I would say parallel to mine. He's looking much mm. more at Buddhist teachings, but also a lot of yoga in there um like a queer perspective on it and i just i love that so i guess that's what i was kind of trying to visualize it's like what is a queer mind <laughs> yoga view of the mind like and i to me it's like and this is i mean maybe this is oversimplifying it but you know how in in yoga we normally say like in meditation we tell people to still the mind or stop the mind Right. Yeah. Or, or control the mind quiet quiet the mind yeah and i i have i've always struggled with that you know like i have an incredibly active busy mind and i'm trying and, and i tell a story in the book about my anxiety which you and i have talked about before like how when i let my you know my mind can go to some bad places <laughs> um but i don't think the answer for me is to stop my mind or control it but rather to actually love it for what it is and, and, mm. and hold it with care and compassion for myself and actually embrace my busy mind. And so I don't, I don't know, I don't know how else to express that except like this rainbow mind, a mind that's not stopped, but actually that's incredibly active and, and saying that's okay, you know, like I'm, it's okay that I can have all these thoughts and feelings and I'm still a yoga practitioner, even if my mind isn't still. Um, because in the end, that's not really the goal. The goal of yoga to me is not to stop the mind, but actually to heal my relationship with my mind so that I realize that the mind is not separate from me. And that it's like, um, it's like the heart. I think of my heart as the, where my spirit is. And then my mind is like in my head. And it's often like I'm divided and, yeah. and I'm, I'm trying to integrate instead and feel like my heart and mind are at peace. Mm. 
Yeah, that's beautifully said. Hey, everyone. We'd like to take a quick break from the podcast to thank one of our supporting organizations, Harrisville Yoga. Harrisville Yoga has a mission of serving communities with accessible yoga programs. Their focus is senior populations and those suffering from chronic illness. Group and individual classes are offered in person and on Zoom. Classes available include accessible Hatha Yoga, Intermediate Integral Yoga, Yoga for Cancer and Chronic Illness, Yoga for Pelvic Health, and Kundalini Awakening. You can contact them using email, Facebook, or Instagram, or by visiting them online at harrisvilleyoga.com. I want to talk about failure as a practice, which is something that you yeah. write about and talk about. Well, that's about. what I was just saying, like, yeah. you know, about my anxiety. Like, that really taught me a lot. I mean, c- coming out when I was a teenager and feeling like I was always doing something wrong, like there was something wrong with me, you know, being, being gay was like bad and wrong. And, and then like being a very shy and insecure person, like I've always struggled with that. And like, I'm trying to, um, heal that. And, and one way is to say that, you know, I can learn from my mistakes. And not only that, that is where I learn that like, actually when I fail or mess up, that's an opportunity. It's not, it's not something to beat myself up for. I mean, I don't know if you do, do you do that. Do you beat yourself up? Oh, definitely all the time. And, or I like pre beat myself up by like, <laughs> Oh gosh, what if I guess wrong? And then I like play out all the, you know, the scenarios. So yeah, I totally get that. And I, I also, you know, really do believe that like the mistakes are the biggest places that we have opportunity for growth. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, I don't know. When I, when I talk to the yoga teachers about marketing, I show them this little cycle of like experiment, learn something and then Mm. iterate, you know, like get better at the thing. And I think, you know, failure, this idea of failure sometimes implies that like, it's final, it's done. Like you're either a success or a screw up. You're either, you know, you either made money or you didn't make any money. You either did the practice or you, you know, but like, I think that black and white thinking is just another way that like culture kind of has us conditioned. And Mm. that one of the beautiful things about the yoga practice is this, like it leaves room for, you know, the, the both and kind of, you know, it's not either or. And like, if we can look at, failures or mistakes in that way as like, oh, uh, this has been brought to my attention. So now here's an opportunity for me to get better or to, you know, to love better, or get more precise with my language or whatever the challenges that we've, you know, been given. I think that isn't just, I don't know, it's a more compassionate response in the first place, I think, because like we're humans, we're not perfect uh-huh. software programs or whatever we, you know, we think we should be great at everything out of the gate and we're not allowed to be a beginner or whatever. You know, I think like it's a m- much more actually uh, sustainable way of, of being in relationship to ourselves because we are going to mess up. Like that's not a, that's not an if, like that's a win. Yeah. And so, you yeah. know, if we can figure out a way to like embrace that and like as an opportunity for growth and like, I think yoga can be a big tool in working with like the shame that comes up when you perceive that you've failed at something, you know, like mm. that discomfort mm-hmm. at, at, at its, at its end, like 
shame is really a sensation that's happening with our body, you know, and like we have tools to work with that in yoga. And so anyway, I love that. I I also, I love what you're saying about, um, how we don't have compassion for ourselves because I, again, that that was in the title, right? And I talked about compassion is also about service, but really it's also about our relationship with ourselves. Like we, sometimes we're going to have more compassion for others than for ourselves. You know, like I'm much nicer to you than I am to myself. <laughs> a thousand percent. Yes, <laughs> me too. <laughs> it's like the way I talk to myself, I would never speak to another that way. You know, <laughs> so. Right. And I mean, that's a problem, honestly. Like why, you know, like why is that? And what would it be like to be nicer to yourself? And, and what would that create for you in your life? And actually how, how would that create a better life for others? Because I feel like the first form of service we can offer the world is to care for ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if everyone took care of themselves, like there would be less harm happening out there. There'd be less pain and suffering. And a lot of us just don't have the tools. We don't have the um, access to what we need, to the resources we need to care for ourselves. But even those people that do have the access, they don't even do it. They don't do it. And it's interesting to think about self-care. I talk about it a little bit in the book because Maybe we've talked about it before, but like self-care, that idea was used by black women activists in the 60s who were talking about self-care as a way to build up their energy reserves so they had the energy to keep moving on and to continue working towards um, equity and justice. And it's been like co-opted by capitalism. And now it's like a lot of people with complete access to power and resources are using the idea of self-care. And I feel like that's missing the point. It's like, if you, if you feel under-resourced, if you're marginalized in any way, then self-care is your service, right? Like you can pour hundred percent of your time into caring for yourself. And I think we see that movement towards like rest as, mm-hmm. um, what is it? Uh, you know, um, you know, what I'm talking about, yeah, um, I'm thinking of the NAP ministry. That's like a, yes, one of the people I follow exactly. that's doing and that She work. really started it. I mean, that NAP, NAP ministry is incredible. I quote her in the book. I can't think of her name. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. modern, you know, more contemporary teachers. Well, they're all, she's contemporary, but like yoga teachers like um, Octavia Rahim talks mm-hmm. about it a lot. And, Kelly Palmer. Um, yeah. Yeah, Kelly Palmer. And I would just say, like, I think they're talking about people who have been marginalized or under-resourced. I don't think... It's not that everyone needs to rest. Well, I mean, we probably all do, but it's like, actually, if you have a lot of resources and a lot of privilege, mm-hmm. you need to act more, like get busy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like do something yeah. to make the world a more equitable place and work for justice. Like that's my feeling about it, but it really depends on your personal situation. And it's not how, what I think it's not how I perceive it from outside. It's what, how you feel about it. Because you can't tell from outside what someone's going through. You know what I mean? Like, right. I can't decide for you if you have resources or not. You know, you can have invisible disabilities, mental health challenges that just knock you down. And, and, and that means you need to be caring for yourself. But you might have a lot of energy. Like so I yeah. talk about uh, in the book, this research that was done. I think I talk about it in the book um, about mindfulness and how it showed that people that do mindfulness who are self-centered just become more self-centered. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's like spiritual practice doesn't necessarily make you a good person or a loving, caring person. It will exaggerate what's already happening inside of your mind. 
Mm-hmm. And so you got to work on it. Like ethics are essential. Without ethics, there's no yoga practice. And that, that's why it's like, there has to be a focus for your work, for your, for your spiritual practice. When you go and meditate, I was, I was, uh, let's see, I interviewed Michelle Cassandra Johnson cause she's a contributor for the book, just like you are. And, um, for the Re- yoga revolution podcast that I have. And sh- she mentioned this too. Like when you go and meditate or do your spiritual practice, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to just focus on yourself? Are you like sending prayers? Are you sending, are you dedicated to something? And I think that's important, like really important because one thing I say in the book too, is like spiritual power without service is simply power, which is, you know, where we see abuse, honestly, Mm -hmm. coming Mm -hmm. from. So it's like, there has to be a focus for your dedication beyond just your own personal needs, I would say, or it could be that if you really need it, right? If you need the support, fine, dedicate your service, your practice to yourself. But if you have the capacity focus on something other than you, bigger than you. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I love that, you know, well, I think that, you know, you're not providing a checklist here, like a rubric for people to figure out where they're at. It's like, that's your practice now to go do is like sit and inquiry with this stuff. Like, you know, what, what needs to be cared for in yourself and then what needs to be cared for in your community and your family and your, you know, your sphere of influence and your, and the ability and the means that you currently have. And I think that's a, a really personal question for each, each of us to, to get real with and, um, to consider like, you know, find our lane and then stay in it and, and do good work. So, yeah. okay. This has been really great. I want to just ask like, what's a big, um, or like, what's a takeaway or like a, something you want people to leave with when they, when they read this book? Hmm. I want people to, I, I pray that it reduces suffering in some way in the world. Like that's my goal and my, my service is about helping people to um, embrace the yoga teachings and to find a practice that supports them in their journey, especially, like I said, to reduce suffering in some way. Cause I, I really think that's one of the key elements of the yoga teachings is about reducing our suffering personally, and then to look at how it can reduce the suffering of others. Um, I think part of it is just like giving ourselves a break and then finding a practice that feels resonant with our goals. So I guess that's the other thing I would say is like, do some reflection around why you want to practice. Like, what is it you're trying to to do? Are you trying to have spiritual enlightenment? Are you trying to have less stress? Like figure out what that is for yourself and then and then design a, a practice that actually will do that for you. Um, yeah, I found, can I read a little poem? Yes. Um, this it. is just going back to this idea of failure, if that's okay. I just, I just opened the book and I, I love this one. And this is very inspirational to me. This is by Kabir, who was a Bhakti poet. Um, I believe he was around the 14, 13 or 1400s in Persia, which is basically Iraq and Iran. Um, He says, this is a poem called The Failure. He says, I talk to my inner lover and I say, why such rush? We sense that there is some sort of spirit that loves birds and animals and the ants. 
perhaps the one, perhaps the same one who gave a radiance to you in your mother's womb. Is it logical you would be walking around entirely orphaned now? The truth is you turned away yourself and decided to go into the dark alone. Now you're tangled up in others and have forgotten what you once knew. And that's why everything you do has some weird failure in it. <laughs> wow. I have not heard that, that one before. I love that. I love that one. It sounds really pessimistic. Like everything you do has some weird failure in it. And I don't, <laughs> I don't want people to feel that, but there is something in it that's so hopeful to me. That's like we were saying before. Yeah. That I think goes back to you asked me like what I want to share with people. And that's like hope for, um, yeah, just hope for their own personal healing and transformation. The idea that we're not alone, you know, that spiritual, the spirit is there uh, within us and we need mm -hmm. to go and connect with it. It's just waiting, right? Um, yeah. I always, I'll say one more thing. I, I always say this and I find it really useful and that's to, to ask yourself who is talking in your mind and who's listening. Mm -hmm. Have we talked about that before? No, but I, well, n maybe not on here, but I, that's like a big teaching of yours that I, that I love. Um, mm -hmm. and I remember like some other thing you say along with that is like, you know, if some people refer to that sort of like inner dialogue as prayer, like what are you praying for all day long? I was like, Ooh, <laughs> that's a word. <laughs> yeah. That's all like to look at that, to like turn, I think to realize that yoga is just that simple to like think about, Oh wait, how am I talking to myself? Am I being kind? Am I being mean? What am I saying? And who is the one who's listening? I'm here right now. Right? Like to me, that's spirit. That's my heart is listening. Um, to my poor mind. <laughs> I know, suffering. right? To, yeah. to all the ranting and drama <sighs> of my mind. <laughs> And like, uh, I sometimes, you know, like I was thinking about when my, when my kids were little and it's just so easy to love them, you know, it's so easy. Like when they're babies, I should say really little, like tiny little babies and like infants and just there's, or like with a pet, like an animal or something that's just so, I don't know, innocent and sweet. And you just, um, I like to try to feel that way about my own mind, like really mm. create some inner inner compassion and love for myself. That's what I'm feeling right now. So I guess that's what I want to share. I mean, that's love what it. I'm hoping for. I don't know if I'm feeling it, but that's what I'm hoping. That's the goal. Working <laughs> right. I'm working on it. We're practicing it. Yeah, practicing it. <laughs> don't always get it right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing um, with us today about the book. Um, you can go find it wherever books are sold and you're either going to pre-order it or order it based on what date this podcast comes out. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, we'll put links in the show notes to all the things that we've talked about in today's podcast, including where you can get a hold of the book and, um, anything else you want to leave us with as we go out? It was fun to be interviewed by you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I it's We've like we're always playing different parts, you know, it's so funny. I know. Right. We, we, we do good with that. Thanks for joining us for the accessible yoga podcast. We're so grateful to be in community with you. 
Please check out our website, accessibleyoga.org, to find out more about our upcoming programs, including our annual Accessible Yoga Conference. At our website, you can also learn more about how to become an Accessible Yoga Ambassador and support the work that we are doing in the world. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can also submit a question or suggest a topic or potential guest you'd like us to interview at accessibleyoga.org. See you next time.